0: and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. I'm going to do something a little bit different right now than we typically do, um, so prepare yourself. (laughs) We don't typically talk, but I want to talk for just a second, and I want you to respond. We sing a song like that, Jesus only, Jesus, your name's above every name, right? But who is Jesus and, and why would we sing a song like that? So if you're going to fill in the blank, Jesus is what? Give me one word to describe Jesus. Savior. Christ. God. King. Almighty. Perfect. Prince of peace. Love. Friend. Redeemer. Redeemer. Shepherd, father, savior, I've heard that, super fan, super fan. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> I'll have to think through that one a bit, a Jesus is a wonderful counselor, yes he is, who is Jesus, because we don't just sing these words, right, we're, we're not just, we're singing to someone who's changed our life. And so when we sing Jesus only Jesus, there should be some of those things that are coming to our mind. The reason he is that, he is our savior. The reason he is that is he's our shepherd. The reason he is that is he's our sustainer. The reason he is that, he is our king, right? Jesus only, Jesus, that's why. And may his name and who he is be on our lips. That's why we gather today. We gather Because it's all about his name. As Glenn, as we prayed in pastoral prayer time today, what did Glenn pray? That we would decrease and Jesus would increase. So when you leave this place, I want you to think about me. I don't want you to think about our musicians. When you leave here today, I want you to be thinking about Jesus and who he is and the difference he's made in your life. Because if we've gathered for any other name, It's going to come up short. It's going to miss the mark. And we're going to walk out of here and be disappointed and wish we had done more about his name. And so I just want you to know, today's about him. If you've never gathered with us before, we love the chiefs here, obviously. We're wearing chief stuff. But it's about his name, right? It's not about the pastors here. It's about his name. It's not about our buildings it's about his name. And I want to always keep that clear in our eyes and in our hearts and in our minds. That we as exist as a church for the head of the church. And his name is Jesus. So we don't just sing Jesus, only Jesus, because it sounds good, sort of rhythmatic, right? We sing it because we mean it. Jesus, it is isn't really all about you. And I love to hear our church yell out things that we know to be true about you, that you are our savior, that you are our king, that you are our wonderful counselor, that you are our, our friend, that you are our father, that you are love, that you are good. Lord, you are Jesus. You are all of these things and so much more. And we've gathered today. To worship you and you only and so we sing songs and Clint reads scriptures like he read because we want it to be all about you you are the way the truth and the life and I pray that no one in this room or watching online would ever walk out of this place thinking any differently and so today as we open your word again and we listen to you Give us ears to hear, because, Lord, we do desire to know you more. We believe that your name is the name above every name, and so we want to know you more. And so when we leave this place, may our hearts be on you and for you, and may they be transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we come to two of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1 and Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Let me read them to you and you'll probably, uh, they will become familiar at that moment because you've either had them quoted to you or uh, you have quoted them to somebody. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Can I get a witness in the room that's been given to you or you yourself have used it to somebody? One of the, and again, you search this out, you'll find these are the most famous verses. Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. We refer to that as the golden rule. Um, The reason we refer to it as the golden rule, in case you've ever wondered, the scripture doesn't refer to it as the golden rule. The reason is in the Middle Ages, there was a king who had a throne and his throne was made of gold. And in the side of his throne, he had this verse. And from that moment on in the Middle Ages, it was referred to as the quote unquote golden rule. There's something to that, but it... Not referred to in scripture as the golden rule, but in culture we know it um, to be that. These are the two really most famous verses in all of scripture. You've had it quoted to you, judge not that you be not judged. Or you've said or heard even politicians or people that are giving speeches use the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Both of these verses land in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus has been laying down the ways those who follow him should think about their life and live out their life under his rule. In Matthew chapter 5 we have seen the character of a kingdom citizen. In Matthew chapter 6 we saw the conduct of a kingdom citizen. Now in chapter 7 as the sermon is coming to a close Jesus begins to talk about relationships in his kingdom. Relationships play a big role in our walk with Christ. Jesus would summarize later in Matthew the whole commandments, all 613 commandments. He would summarize them in Matthew 22 by saying this, love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And we think, oh, that's a good summary of all the 613 commandments. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus says, not only love God, but he also says the second is like to the first, love your neighbor. Jesus is saying all of the law and the prophets, all the 613 commandments aren't just about loving God, but it's also horizontally about loving one another. Jesus would say, in John's gospel, that how is the world going to know that we are his disciples? By our love, one for another. God has made us as relational beings, right? He's made us for a relationship with him and he's made us for relationships with each other. And so it would make sense That as Jesus is talking about this life inside the kingdom of God, what it means to be a follower of the king of kings, that he would talk about relationships. And so today in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 11, he talks about relationships. And then in verse 12, he summarizes the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the outline for our message today and our text today. As we look at Matthew 7, 1 through 12, we're going to find that Jesus starts with relationships with each other. So within the kingdom of heaven, how are our relationships to work? We're going to find that out in verses 1 through 5. Then in verse six, we're gonna find out relate what our relationship should be with opponents of the gospel. People that we have shared the gospel with who in turn reject and, and get vicious towards us. How, how do we treat them? We'll find that out in verse six. Then we'll look in verses seven through 11 of the relationship with our father in heaven. And then in verse 12, we get a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. So verse 12. And chapter 5 and verse 17 are basically bookends on the Sermon on the Mount. So you have an introduction till verse 17, then Jesus puts this bookends of the law and the prophets, and then you come to verse 12 of Matthew chapter 7, and he says, so this is the law and the prophets, and Jesus is using wording that is helping us know he's bookend the, S- the Sermon on the Mount. So his introductory remarks, now he's the main point, And then next week, he'll finalize, he'll land the plane of the Sermon on the Mount the Mount, and he's summarizing for us in verse 12, the Sermon on the Mount. So stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 11, as Jesus digs down even more into our hearts to this area of relationships and how we are to view them in light of Jesus being our King. I'll read out loud. You follow along on the screen or on your device or in your Bible, verses 1 through 12. Judge not that you be not judged. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. You may be seated. The first relationship that Jesus deals with In Matthew chapter 7 is our relationship with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. We get that from verse 5 when Jesus says right towards the end there, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is talking about relationships within the kingdom of God. So in our context, we would talk about relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Relationships in God's family. And so, these relationships in God's family, He gives us the principle to start out in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. That's the principle. To judge not means to be judgmental or critical. Jesus is not saying, and we're going to see this as we work through the text, to to not be discerning or to make judgmental calls about certain situations, but what he is saying is don't put yourself in the place of God and act like you are the ultimate judge. He's saying don't act like you know the motives of people's hearts. John Stott in his commentary on Matthew 7 1 says, the command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men, distinguishing things, but to renounce the presuppos the presumptuous ambition to be God. James helps us see this clearly in James chapter 4, in verse 11 and 12, when James is expounding on Jesus' words here, when he says, do not speak evil, verse 11 of James chapter 4, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges the brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James is telling his audience, you're not the judge. That's why you shouldn't be judgmental or critical because you're not the ultimate judge. There is one lawgiver, there is one judge, and his name is Jesus, right? And his name is God, and we we don't want to take his place. So judge not that you be not judged. If you're trying to take the place of God by being the judge, then you will be judged by God. If you're going to be judging people's motives, then your motives will be judged, You can see the natural flow Jesus is following in his teachings. He has talked in verse chapter 6 about these acts of righteousness, giving, praying, uh, fasting, treasuring, trusting. And now he comes in chapter 7 and he's guarding kingdom citizens from pride that comes from living out our faith. These acts of righteousness you've experienced this before or you've done this before, right? Where someone is doing a diet or a workout plan or they're following some way of life on Instagram and all of a sudden this person that was easy to get along with is now judgy and critical of everyone who doesn't work out as they work out or doesn't eat what they eat or doesn't use the oils that they use or doesn't doesn't do the things that they do. And you've experienced this, and let's be honest, we've all done it, right? We've all done it in our life. So Jesus knows that our natural heart is one that moves towards pride. That look at us at how giving we are and how prayerful we are and our fasting and we're treasuring God and we're trusting. And all of a sudden we become judgy and critical of everyone around us. And so Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. Within the church, we are real good at being judgy and critical of each other. If you've grown up in the church, you've experienced people's judgy looks. You've experienced people's critical just words to you. And here's what I would say. If you read this first verse And you immediately in your mind jump to all the verses that tell you you should call out people's sin, you may be the problem. If your heart is to immediately call people out for their sins and put them in their place, you are the problem. (laughs) Judge not that you be not judged. We are so good at sizing people up in the church. Look at their clothes. Look at what kind of music they listen to. Look at the books they read. And we judge and we're critical of each other. And yet Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. Of all the places in the whole world that we should be generous with our thoughts towards people, it should be in the church. That's why I like what John Stott says earlier when John Stott said that Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't be human, right? But that we should be generous. He's a plea for us to be generous with what? Mercy. To be generous with grace towards each other. That we don't know people's hearts. Yeah, we can look at the fruits and and we're gonna get to that in just a second and we, we should at some level, but we don't start there. We start with a heart of humility that Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. Why? Verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the principle of sowing or reaping what you sow. We've already seen this in Jesus' sermon Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In Matthew chapter 6 and verses uh, verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. So Jesus is talking about this idea of you reap what you sow. And so if you're going to be judgy towards people, just know the measure that you give is the measure that's going to come back to you. Go with me to Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, you find Luke's record of Jesus' sermon, and he expounds on this a little bit more of Jesus' words for us in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. And when Luke records Jesus' words. He records them in this way. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, this is the generous side, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, if you're generous, You're going to receive generosity. It will be measured back to you. Jesus is saying, you're going to reap what you sow. He illustrates this for us in Matthew chapter 18 when it comes to forgiveness. In Matthew 18 verses 21 through verse 35, he tells the story of a a parable of a king who was clearing his debts And a servant comes to him and says, hey, will you clear my debt? He clears his debt. You're good to go. Pay what, $50, let's say. You're good to go. The same servant goes to somebody who's under him who owes him less money than he owed the king. And he requires that servant to pay all of his money and the servant doesn't have him, so he puts him in jail. And Jesus uses this as an example of this idea of you reap what you sow when he says this in Matthew 18... 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is saying we will reap what we sow. So let's reap generosity. Let's reap mercy so that we'll sow mercy, we'll sow generosity. Jesus goes on and illustrates it for us in verses 3 and 4. What is he talking about? This idea of not judging and you reap what you sow when it comes to this. Here here he lays it out for us. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Here's the picture. A splinter. You have a splinter in your eye. In, in your brother's eye. But you walk up to your brother with a two by four, right? Eight foot two by four, and you whack him across the head to look at the splinter that is in his eye. Do you see the absurdity of that? That's what Jesus is he's using this absurd example that people are like, that's ridiculous. And he's like, Yes, it is. So is judging and being critical. It's ridiculous when you've got a big two by four hanging out of your eye and you're trying to call the splinter that is in your brother or sister's eye. And so verse five, Jesus helps us to understand then how can we be discerning? Because we all know we got logs hanging out of our eyes, right, two by fours. So how can we be discerning? Jesus calls them out. In verse five, he says, you hypocrite. He said, you guys are putting on masks acting like you got it all together when in your heart, you're far from me. You're doing this just to measure up on people to power up. You're being a hypocrite. So how then Jesus do we discern? How do we confront people when we see specks? Well, here you go. Verse five. First, take the log out of your own eye. <laughs> Good starting place, right? Like if you're whacking people across the head with the log in your eye, the sin in your life, then maybe you should start there. So Jesus has said, how do we start this discernment process? We deal with our own heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31, it's talking about the Lord's tables, uh, communion. We'll take communion next Sunday. It says, when you come to communion, judge yourself first. So he's saying, look at your own heart before you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Make sure you've examined your own heart to make sure that you've confessed your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, that you've made things right with the Lord before you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You judge your own heart. You think not only vertically, but you think horizontally. Is there somebody I need to get right with before I do that? You judge your own heart. And this is what Jesus is saying. How do we be discerning? of specks that we see in other people's eyes, we start with the log in our own eye. Galatians 6.1 says that, that as we go to confront people who are caught in sin, that we have to be on guard, that we don't fall into the same sin. That's what Jesus is starting with here when he says, take the log out of your own eye. Then he says, and then you will see Clearly. The second thing I would say, if you're going to be discerning about a speck or sin in somebody's life, make sure you clearly are seeing the speck in their eye, right? Because once we get the log out of our own eye, once we've confessed our sins and we've been forgiven and then we're looking and we see something in somebody else's life that is not walking in a manner worthy of the gospel that they follow, we want to make sure that we're seeing that clearly. I think it's important that he says clearly there. He just doesn't say, do you see it, but do you see it clearly? In Matthew 18, he helps us to make sure we're seeing it clearly by what section is referred to as church discipline within the church. How do we deal with sin in the church? And here's how we deal with sin in the church. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault and between, and I like this, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Why do you go to him and to him alone? So you can make sure that you're seeing clearly what is going on in his life. Because you're not the judge. You don't know the motives of their heart. You got to spend time with them to be able to see clearly. Oftentimes people will come to me and say... I see this speck in somebody else's eye and I think you need to deal with it because you're the pastor of the church. And that really puts me in an awkward spot, right? Because what scripture calls us to do is not for the pastor to find the specks in everybody's eye, It calls for us as individually, as bodies, members of the body of Christ, that we go to each other, that you, if you see something and you've taken the log out of your eye in a member of our church, you start there. Now, if they are unrepentant, then we move to different levels in Matthew 18 there. But it begins with making sure that we see that splinter clearly in each other's eyes. So I would encourage you don't come to me if you haven't gone to them. Don't go to Bob if you haven't gone to them. Don't go to Todd if you haven't gone to them. Don't go to Clint if you haven't gone to them. Don't go to your Antioch group leader if you haven't gone to them. Because you want to make sure that you're seeing clearly before you go to someone else. Then look at how it ends. If you take the log out of your eye, first step. Then you see clearly, second step. Then you take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then Here's how I'd like to put it. You gently work to take the speck out of their eye. You don't want to give them a black eye in the process of taking out the speck. Right? So that's why Jesus or Paul would say to the church at Galatia, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's the idea of a splinter in their eye, You who are spiritual should restore him, and listen, in a spirit of gentleness. And so we gently work to take the speck out. I, I, like one commentator said, we should picture ourselves as physicians who are going to do surgery. Aren't you thankful when you have surgery that physicians do it with precision and gently? Because if they weren't gentle, it would not feel real good, right? But because they do it gently and they work not to cause more problems, this is how we should deal with the speck that is in our brother or sister's eye that we see. We do it gently. We do it with a heart of humility. I think this whole passage is covered in humility. That's why he starts with your own heart. We shouldn't be anxious to do this, right? We shouldn't be on the edge of our seat of like, whose speck can I find at church today, right? We shouldn't go to our social media trying to find the ways that we can point out speck. It should be when we find this, that there is a sense of grief in our heart. And Lord, it grieves me to see their sin, but but do I have a log that's hanging out of my own eye? Am I seeing their sin so clearly because I've got sin in my own life? And I see it clearly because you know what a splinter comes from? A two by four. And maybe I see their sin clearly because I've got that huge sin hanging out of my eye. And so Lord, help me to have humility to see my own sin. And then when I have to, when I've seen it clearly, When I've sat down with them and we've had the conversation, and what I thought I saw, I really did see, that I would, with gentleness, begin to help them pull the splinter out of their eye. A good way to think about this idea is the difference between being a judge and being a witness. A judge has ultimate authority in the courtroom. If the judge makes the determination after hearing the witnesses and the jury, they, that is the decision that has been made, right? He brings the decision down. We are not the judge when it comes to relationships with each other, but we are the witness. A witness simply tells what they observe. They're not saying they're the judge. They're not saying they have it all right. They're just coming with gentleness saying, here's what I've observed, I know you haven't committed adultery, but I see the things that you're watching, right? I know that you, you haven't murdered anybody, but I see this anger festering in. You're, you're just a witness. You're just saying, this is what I'm observing. I'm not judging your motives. I'm just saying, here's what I observe. When you are being discerning and confrontational, you go with the heart of, I'm not here to judge you but I'm a witness or I'm noticing these things in your life. So church, judge not that you be not judged. I think for the most part at Antioch, we do pretty well at this. Say that not to be prideful by any stretch of the imagination, but I do believe at Antioch, we seek to not be a church that is judgy or critical Now, do we need to be discerning? For sure. Do we need to at times confront? Sure. Like this is confrontational what I'm saying today, right? But I think for the most part, when it comes to secondary things, what people wear, music, I think we do a good job at not being judgy and critical of each other. Why? I pray that when people come to our church, they would see a place that is generous with mercy. A place that is generous with grace. That we're not sizing you up by what you wear, the car that you drive in, how many posts, spiritual posts do you have on social media this week? That we are a place that is generous with mercy and grace. That we don't judge people's motives. We don't judge why people sit on the front row versus the back row, right? (laughs) That we simply are generous with mercy towards each other and grace. Then Jesus talks about our relationship with opponents of the gospel. So in light of this discernment, in light of this confrontation, Jesus talks about people that you'll share the gospel with who want nothing to do with it. So he says... Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So how are we saying this is opponents of the gospel? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons for that. The first is when Jesus uses the word what is holy and the word pearls, Later, in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 45, he talks about the kingdom of heaven being like pearls that you search for and you buy the land because there's expensive pearls on that land. What he's talking about is the gospel He's talking about this, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. When he's talking about what is holy and what is set apart, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. So this is what he's saying when he says what is holy and, and the pearls. He's, he's thinking about the gospel here. And then he uses this term dogs and pigs. Dogs and pigs in the scriptures were wild animals and they were unclean animals. So dogs ran in packs and were vicious and dangerous. So your little dog that sits on your lap at night was not the picture that Jesus had in mind here, all right? This was group packs of dogs that were vicious and they would tear things up, right? And if you didn't give them what they wanted, they would come after you. This is the idea of dogs. Then pigs were unclean. You go to the Old Testament, you can read about how pigs were unclean. And part of their uncleanness was that they would take good things and they would run them through the mud and trample them under feet. And so here's what Jesus is saying. When you present the gospel to someone and they turn on you and the message, they are acting like a dog so you don't keep offering them what is holy, the good news of the kingdom. When you present the gospel to someone and they trample on it and drag it through the mud, you don't keep giving them the pearls of the gospel because they're not able to recognize the value of it. Jesus will say this later to his own disciples in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Jesus is not saying to us, don't share the gospel with people. What he is saying, when you share the gospel with people and they respond like a dog or a pig, have the discernment to not keep pushing in, rather let God take care of them. And what are you to do? Matthew five forty-four: You are to continue to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So listen, if you have a friend or a family member who you've shared the gospel with and they have become vicious and violent towards you and towards the message of the kingdom, maybe it's okay to pull back a little bit and love them and pray for them. Don't keep pushing that sore spot. Let God do his work. You've presented the pearls, you've given them what is holy, right? You've done your responsibility. Now let God do the work. You live out Matthew 4:45:44 and you love your enemies and you do good to them and you pray for those who spitefully use you. Then the last relationship Jesus talks about is our relationship with our heavenly father. Look at verse seven. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and knock and it will be opened to you. Jesus is inviting us into relationship with him. And so Jesus says, I want you to ask and to keep on asking. I want you to seek And to keep on seeking. I want you to knock. And to keep on knocking. These are in the present imperative. So it's this ongoing relationship. With our heavenly father. That he's saying. I want you to keep seeking after me. I want you to keep asking. I want you to keep knocking. To ask is to. Come to him with humility. Nobody likes to ask for help. Right? So it takes humility. To come to our Father and say, Father, here we go. Another day, I can't do this on my own. I need your grace. And you know what he says? Do that every day. Keep asking. Then he says, keep seeking. To seek is to be persistent in your relationship with knowing God. Keep seeking after God. Keep spending time in his word. Keep praying, keep seeking after him. Don't stop. Don't, don't think that once a week on Sunday is enough for you to be in the word. Keep being in the word every day. Be in the word. Persistently seek and search for that hidden treasure and just keep going after that relationship with God. And then he says to knock and to, to keep on knocking. This is the idea of courage. Isn't it great that because of Jesus, we can come boldly into the throne of grace to find help in our time of need? So we can come to the door of heaven and knock on that door and he'll open the door. Our courage to pursue this relationship with our father in heaven comes through the person of Jesus Christ, that we can come boldly into the throne of grace. And then look at the promise of this invitation that Jesus makes to us to ask and to seek and to knock. Jesus says this, for everyone who asks, receive, the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is an invitation that Jesus has made to a relationship with him. And he says, the promise is, if you ask and if you seek and if you knock, just want you to know, I'm going to answer I'm going to open the door. You'll find me if you seek after me. James chapter 4 and verse 8, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The more we ask, the more we seek, the more we knock, the more we will know our father in heaven. And so if you look at your life today and you think, man, I, I don't feel and feelings are iffy. I don't feel as close to God as I used to. I would encourage you, God hasn't moved. But but he has invited you to ask and to seek and to knock. And he's promised that if you do that, he's there. If you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. He's made that promise in our relationship with him. That he's not going to keep us at arm's length. He's not going to only let us get so close to him. No, he's invited us to know him and to follow him. He illustrates it for us in verses 9 through 11. And which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Again, this is absurd. No, you wouldn't do that. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. No, you wouldn't do that. That's stupid. Verse 11, if you then, I love Jesus. If you then who are evil, you get what he's doing there? He's doing the lesser to the greater, just like he did with the birds, just like he did with the plant. He's doing the lesser to the greater. If you who are evil, I can't believe Jesus would call us evil. Like, let's be honest with each other, right? You're in a room full of sinners. Jesus knows that we're made of dust. So I love that he says, if you are evil, know how to give good gifts. Look, don't you think your father in heaven healed? How much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The father is good and he's generous. And if we as evil earthly fathers... Get it? Like, no, of course I'm not going to give him a stone or a serpent. Don't you think the one who is greater than us will be generous and good to you? Verse 12. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus summarizes the Sermon on the Mount with that one sentence. So whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them. How can we live that out? Verse 11, our father's been generous and good to us. And so we get to represent our father when we are good and generous to others because our father has been good and generous to us. How do we know that? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a generous and a good Father. And so, in return, you who are kingdom citizens, go and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Be generous with love, be generous with grace, be generous with mercy because we have been received so much love and grace and generosity Father thank you for your word today this sermon on the mount has been good for sure but it's also been one of those series of texts that are heavy too because you're not as concerned although you want our outward obedience, you're coming after the heart. And every week it seems you were opening our heart and doing surgery on it. And this is true again this week. That as we think about our relationship with each other, with opponents of the gospel, our relationship with you, you yet again have exposed our hearts. So help us Lord to respond in humility Forgive us if we are judgmental or critical. Help us to be discerning and to be confrontational when we have taken the right steps. Help us, Lord, to be discerning as we share the gospel with people, if they're rejecting the gospel, if they're, they're being vicious and violent as, as a dog or, or, or a pig. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live out Matthew 5 and love them and pray for them. And then when it comes to our relationship with you, help us, Lord, to see you as a good father and help us to respond to the invitation to ask and to seek and to knock. May we draw near to you. And I love the promise that if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. If we ask, you'll answer. If we seek, you'll help us find it. If you, we knock, you will open the door. Thank you for being a better father than us. You're so good to us. May we live out the golden rule this week that whatever we would want done to us, may we do that to others in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.